Hey there, we're the Westlap Pirates and welcome to the show. We're here to share our thoughts on Northwestern athletics and college sports with thoughts and analysis from the visceral to the statistical. We run our tailgate with the red pirate flag flying high above as we give no quarter, especially the fourth. I'm Sam Walter. I'm John Lacombe. I'm Eric Skoskowspo. Uh Last week we went through the first half of the Northwestern schedule. This week we're going to go through the back half of the Northwestern schedule. Um, but, you know, there's kind of some big news that really, you know, kind of, I, I don't know if you even sent ripples is ripples is too light kind of sent tidal waves through the landscape of college football this week um, with the seeming implosion of the Pac-12. Uh, you know, Colorado moved to the Big 12 um, basically in advance of the proposed TV deal with Apple. Um, I think Oregon and Washington saw the numbers and said, you know what? Let's go to the Big Ten and take 50% share until the next <laughs> contract because that's better than trying to go door-to-door selling Apple subscriptions, which is kind of what it might have been. Uh, so, you know, long story short, um, Utah, Arizona, Arizona State goes to the Big 12. They're at what, 16 or 18? 16, right? 16. Okay. And then Washington and Oregon uh, will be joining USC and UCLA as the newest members of the Big Ten. 18. 18 teams in the Big Ten, guys. That's just, I mean, come on. The enormous 10, as our friend, yeah. uh, bring our champions, or bring your champions, there are meat uh, mentioned, which I thought was the most um, apropos moniker. Yeah. A couple, I mean, it, it's crazy. I mean, there are... It's crazy for us, too, because we're operating on this. Like, you'll see the way this pod is going to play out tonight. We're going to bring you the second half of the Big Ten schedule, the second half of Northwestern's Big Ten schedule, the Big Ten schedule that existed in the world that we were all previously living in. Um, and before we've got, you know, before we can even get to that, we have to talk about all of this no- news. How, like, Adam Rittenberg is still breathing by this point in the summer, I have no idea. Adam, you know, get at us and let us know. Um, Seriously, someone needs to buy that guy a, a coffee. Yeah, uh, you know, it's go to, find Rittenberg at a Starbucks and buy him a coffee. Yeah, it's it's been a summer, no doubt about it. But as as we were joking before the pod, one thing is we know which game Northwestern's going to take all the stadium photos at now because Washington's going to be visiting at some point, and then uh, we can capitalize on that extra purple. But it's crazy. I mean, you talked about the half shares with Washington and Oregon. And I think people are looking and being like, hey, like they're like, that's so crazy that they're only getting half shares and that it, I think it'll slowly like balloon over time and eventually they'll work their way up. And no, it, it, it's half shares until through the end of this TV contract. Yeah. So it's so. And it, then the, and then the next one, they'll go to full shares, which, you know, we thought this one was big. The next one, theoretically, will be insane. I mean, this one was insane, but yeah. Right. But I mean, it's like. There's the money, and a lot of people are going to look at like the more money and everything, but it's very obvious that the Pac-12 just reached this tipping point where you knew that after a certain point in time, everyone in the conference is just looking and trying to evaluate whether or not the ship is sinking. And that's a call that every college is going to make on their own, and you can talk all about like solidarity and holding the line and everything, but Washington and Oregon basically just read the tea leaves and were like, we leave now or we go down with the ship. And, you know, that's driving it as much as everything. It's not just like going for a bigger piece of the pie. It's that everyone suddenly 
realized last week that the Pac-12 was going to implode, and then everyone who could jump off jumped off. And so, yeah. So I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna push on that narrative a little bit because I think in 2010, when the Pac-12 almost invited Texas and Oklahoma, and then didn't, and then the Big Ten got Nebraska. And, uh, and then it had Rutgers in Maryland, like we were all primed for the rush to super conferences and everyone was looking around saying like, Oh, one of these, one of these guys ain't going to last. And, um, when Oklahoma and Texas a couple of years ago jumped to the sec, I mean, it, it took a lot longer than we expected because that, you know, grant of rights kind of slowed down. I think what, what has been a March to the inevitable. So I, like I, to me four 20 conference, 20 team conferences, is what um, I feel like we've been marching toward since for 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 the better part of it for a little over a decade and and real and really it probably goes beyond that to two like twenty four team or or maybe twenty team if you were to exercise some of the some of the smaller schools unfortunately potentially include Northwestern but like an, an NFL style setup of college football where you have two basically national uh, footprints that then play each other in the in the you know, championship game. I, I just, I think we've been on this path for, for 13 oh. years. Oh, for and sure. You mean, you, you mean the Fox conference and the ESPN conference? Yeah, exactly. Right. Like, and it's just, it's, it's been so clear that this is where it's going to go because money has such been, a, has been such a driver. I mean, I remember when we first started the podcast, I don't know if you got like way back machine, right? So this is fall of, of 2010. One of the first things that happened as we were as we were prepping for for the next season was um, the tattoo scandal at Ohio State. And like, there is I mean, nothing as, there is nothing that dates this podcast more than that we go back to an era when well, that mattered. <laughs> well, and as and as thirty year old like irreverent Northwestern fans, like there's nothing more than a illegal NCAA benefits scandal at Ohio State that could have been like more red meat for the three of us, right? And we were yeah incensed and outraged that this happened and oh of course Tressel has to be fired everything else and like in retrospect like I'm gonna give us some grace right like it was a different time but in retrospect like now like oh my god like a how pedestrian given given the many scandals we've seen of like ours most recently being being, you know so but like the the like my personal perspective has changed very dramatically when we got to the whole union situation in Northwestern it had already changed the idea that like college football, it's just it's just a it, it it's the the search for more money every single year. It's all that the execs and the and the presidents and the ads and everybody like they're just trying to make as much flipping money as they possibly can. And so, and the of fact course, that they I, have free labor is great for them. Yeah, of course they should give the players a share, et cetera. Right. So that just has informed my kind of perspective on the sport, and that I've just kind of been waiting for this to happen because it's turned into such a cynical backroom you know, maneuver for, for the better part of a decade. That's for sure. And it, you're right. I mean, it's absolutely been like, we have inextricably been marching toward this point. I would say never underestimate the amount of denial within certain places, particularly in the Pac-12, where I think, 
I think there are a couple places like Arizona State being one where I think it was either the president or the AD of Arizona State has like a really tight relationship with the Pac-12 commissioner and was like very publicly and behind closed doors trying to hold this thing together and hold and hold and hold right up until like it all collapsed. Um, And and that's the flip side of this too. I mean, again, we don't know how this is going to play out, but Cal and Stanford, two schools that Northwestern, even just football, has a lot of recent history with both of those schools um, are – you know, they don't have a seat at the table right now, which is crazy. And and particularly with Stanford, because for all the work, for all the amazing things that the Northwestern Athletic Department has done across all of these different sports in terms of College World Series appearances and lacrosse national championship and field hockey national championship and just the great performance across all these others, it all pales in comparison to Stanford's athletic department, which is... They are unequivocally the best athletic department in the United States the last, I don't know, 20 years based right. on national championships and um, like, I, like number I'll, of Olympians. Yes, right. exactly. Like like it is it is the if, if, you, if the athletic director of cup, you know, is any sort of measure of holistic athletic success at a university like they are head and shoulders above everybody. It's just that football pays the bills and their football team kind of sucks. Right. And also that, you know, we talk about too, like the, the way markets and things like that are changing, because I think a lot of people are looking to be like Stanford and Cal, doesn't that pull you the Bay area market? And it's like, we were talking before the pot, even some of that is like outdated thinking right now. Like the Rutgers move probably doesn't happen in today's market, right? The idea yeah. that oh, absolutely oh, not. like you're pulling in New York city with Rutgers or you're pulling in the Bay area with Cal and Stanford it is the brand of individual teams right now, and that's driving everything. The brand of the football team is is the only driver. I will say, as a funny aside, I was in um, JFK uh, before an international flight back in in mid June, and um, they have a bunch. You know, they have TVs throughout the terminals, and this is the international the TVs throughout the international terminal that were that were just running like kind of ads on loop and. One of the ads was a Rutgers ad. I tried, I tried several times to capture like the the hallway with bright red, you know, screen screens with an R on them to you know capture like Rutgers. It's man, it's a you know the pulse of New York. Um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. But uh, but yeah, no, like 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 the landscape has changed, and it, like I think what it was two or three years ago, it's like the whole game is about these titanic matchups. When you can get a, a a Michigan or an Ohio State, an, an Oregon versus Oklahoma versus um, Oklahoma, an Oregon versus Ohio State, Texas and Notre Dame, like these big ticket fan bases playing either in conference or non conference, like these are worth like what five million eyeballs on on TV, and that's like a gold standard for media right now, and that is what just is driving the whole bus. And um, I won't lie, like as as a Northwestern fan, like. I've I've some mixed mixed emotions on this. Our friend Chris like presented a really compelling argument uh, uh, against this, but like my my gut reaction seeing this this news is that with Oregon and, and Washington, and, and honestly, it, it, like a little bit when UCLA and USC was announced a couple of years ago, like the Big Ten's eventually going to go get two more, whether it's Miami and Notre Dame or. Cal and Stanford, well, probably not Cal and Stanford, but like Miami and Notre Dame or Clemson and Florida State or, you know. Um, name, name a school in Notre Dame. North, is, North is, Carolina and Notre Dame. Like, they're going to go get two more. They're going to get to 20. They're maybe going to get up to 24. At what at what point do they say, gosh, Indiana, Northwestern, 
Rutgers, Purdue, maybe not Purdue, um, pick another small one. Like these schools do not create the 5 million viewers when you match them up with one of these other big ticket entities. They don't even create 3 million. Like, are we better off removing these schools from the equation? And I mean, I, I don't know. There's, there's a future world. This is what, what our friend Chris was arguing. There's a future world where you throw Northwestern, Cal, Stanford, Duke, Vandy, you know, a handful of other schools into a, into a, um, call it a D one version of the Ivies or, or, or something, right? Like, like, I don't, I don't mean to be like, you know, heavy handed about the, the, the academic side of it, but like mid tier previously power five schools would like, that would presumably be a more even playing a more even competitive field. Like, does that mean Northwestern could win more versus this, you know, terrifying new prospect that is I was going to say the, the, enormous the exact opposite scenario, yeah. which is what we're looking so, at right now. So I like, this is all way premature. This is just where my head is going. Cause it, like, I, I guess my biggest takeaway from this news on Oregon, Washington is that it's seismic. It's big, like RIP PAC 12, but like also there are so many more shoes to drop. And I just don't know like how to think about this until we're, we're at a more like stable bedrock of a landing place. Yeah. I think as, as Northwestern fans, you're, I think we're all counting the seconds until the football season starts just because as crazy as this is to say, there's almost like an inherent stability in the fact that just the team to be playing games week to week after what this summer has become. Um, and obviously not to equate one situation to the other. It's just if you're a Northwestern fan right now, you're looking for some stability and you're looking for something to grab onto. So um yeah, it is. It's been crazy, and Scuzz is right. The merry the merry go round is not done spinning here, but hopefully, we can you know whatever's going to happen, right? It's, let's make, get all these deals done, and yeah, let's let's find some stability here. Lock whatever this new landscape is going to be. Let's try to lock that in so we can yeah have something for at least a decade. You know what that's going to be though, right? It's going to be college football becomes its own entity, and you know the rest of the rest of the sports i mean are going to go back to their own, go back to the old thing cuz like in what in what world is like it makes sense that Oregon softball is traveling to uh Piscataway for a three game series uh, over a weekend or Cal softball traveling to to Miami right if the ACC yeah. goes through with like a potential Cal Stanford thing i so i Sam, i i 100% agree with you i think i think the ultimate like where this lands is the biggest so, somewhere between 28 and 40 college football teams by fan base dollars whatever break off because um, it, it, it is, it is it, like it's, a, it's such a different sport. It's such a different structure. The money is so different. And um, I'm a little, I'm pretty concerned about what that means for downstream or lower tier sports at schools that don't make that, that top cut, right? But um, that's, I think, where we're ultimately headed. And then, I don't know, maybe everybody else can go back to like, like, like reasonable approaches, like in yeah. terms of, um, it's interesting. We were, we were passing around an article earlier today about how apparently Rutgers has been hemorrhaging, like their athletics department has been hemorrhaging money, like losing 30, 50, $70 million a year over the past decade since they joined the big 10, which to all of us was kind of like, how's this even possible given the, the money that, that, 
the Big Ten is pulling in. But like it's just poor management and poor operation. And I guess when when you're when you're flying your teams all over, you know, sending your teams to Lincoln and and Minneapolis and all over Tarnation. You're, you're paying coaching salaries to kind of keep up with the Joneses and the Big Ten. You're not selling out your stadium, et cetera. Like, all that stuff de- does add up. And, it, it like, there's a there's a financial reckoning coming. Um, it, it's funny because it's kind of two-sided, two-sided right? Um, and I, I do wonder at what point that straw breaks. Yeah. And, the, and then to your point, too, I mean, you talked about the Northwestern piece of this and everyone casting a side eye at Stanford and being like, I mean, there have been a lot of people – who bandied about the fact that Temple was kicked out of the Big East way back when. I would say that's the exception that proves the rule, that this just doesn't happen. But what definitely could happen is if the Big Ten ceased to exist or ceased to exist from a football standpoint, Northwestern's probably not getting brought along to whatever the next thing is in that line. So it's at this point, you're looking at the the Big Ten viability, you're looking at SEC viability and I think as of right now, those two brands are just so strong that that's, I think, what even the teams are looking at and being like, this is marketable. But yeah, that if if we are just going to some place where it's purely cynical and purely profit-driven and everything, then yeah, it's the all of the football brands in the country gathering together and forming their own entity. It would be nice if we could just hit pause on this for a little bit and just try to live in some sort of stable world for a while before that happens. Uh, but we'll see. Well, a, 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 ACC grant of rights is is going to keep things, um, I think, relative the way they look right now for at least a little bit until until when and if either they're they're um, like a judge rules that uh, that's not enforceable or um, Florida State decides that uh, they can make up for the loss of rights. Um, like, like, like at some point, it's it's like firing Kirk Ferentz, right? At some point, it becomes financially viable. At some point, leaving the ACC grant of right, like, and giving up your grant of rights for however much time will become financially viable for Florida State, and they will do it in a heartbeat. Well, I mean, the problem with that is, like, you can't, they wouldn't be able to show home games on TV. I, 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 I agree with you, but at a certain point, it becomes financially viable. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, I, and then this is all happening in the background of, like, people cutting the cord and all this other stuff yep. and you know yep. writers and actors are striking as everyone tries to figure out who's getting a piece of this pie in the future and how this is all going to work and it's like what a mess like there's so many people who are like well espn and fox are going to pay for all this and it's like are they though i don't know <laughs> like i don't know what the financial stamp you know what those countries are going companies are going to look like financially 15 years from now so yeah. I don't know. Well, we we also heard we heard that when when the last you know when the Big Ten contract was up, or maybe this was NFL, I can't remember, but like the streaming services are desperate to get in. Um, but a lot of the but all the big sports properties are like, ah, we don't like we're we're not buying the streaming thing yet. Like like basically, Amazon is having to offer roughly double what network properties are having to offer for the same amount of games or service or whatever, and so like. So I, it, 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 it is fascinating, but just to, like, just to, to, to tap on that Florida State example, so I believe the ACC grant of rights goes through 2030? 2036. 2036. Okay, so right now, that's 13 years. In five years, it's only eight. And, I, and at some point, like, the dollar gap is so huge. Like, Big Ten teams and soon-to-be SEC teams will be making $100 million a year. 
from their television contract. And I like what the Pac-12 was at like thirty. ACC is maybe it maybe close to fifty. Like it is, it is such a gargantuan difference that at a certain point, it don't matter that you can't broadcast your home games. Like like the dollars and cents work out. Now that doesn't mean they're going to do it. Like the moment that happens, but it it, it opens a door. It it's interesting. I mean, it's it's fascinating. It's interesting. It's you know, it's wild. It's weird, and you know, it seems to be what everyone gets so excited about in the off season before, you know, actual football starts, you know, everyone's, it's like, I mean, I, I can't say I'm, I'm super excited about booking my trip to Eugene to see Northwestern play at Oregon. Whenever that happens, you know, it's not, it's not like we're getting, you can just hop in a car and drive to West Lafayette to see Northwestern Purdue. Eugene is hard as hell to get to. <laughs> I, I they have an airport. Yeah, you're well. You're either pay, you're either like I guess. So my my aunt lived in, lives in Corvallis. I've been out there a number of times. Um, which is basically you fly to Portland and you drive two hours. You can fly to Corvallis, but it is you know a lot more expensive. I guess I guess the different Eugene's another two hours further south, and I guess flying to Portland and then connecting to Eugene is a lot more palatable, perhaps, and maybe more um, like w- worth worth the expense. I don't know. I mean, South, Southwest just started flying into Eugene not too long ago, so you use oh, your you rapid word miles or whatever. Good job, Southwest. Because I'm so glad you brought that. You brought up what you just brought up because from this neg, this meta narrative, the machinery of this podcast. Just to put it in perspective of of what we've been dealing with and what we're dealing with right now, we have six Big Ten teams to get to right now, and we've already talked about how Scuzz's aunt lives in Corvallis. That's that's the kind of that's the one well, as of, a result. As a result, I own a flipping um, Oregon State Beavers T-shirt, which is about to become an antique. See, this is yeah. this is what we're dealing with right now. It's like we we had this big this big gap in terms of like covering raw football content. We're trying to compress it, and we have to have this massive discussion about conference realignment. I mean, it's it's we're and then you know we we heard from people. I heard from people last week being like. Hey, I, you guys did the whole pod, did the whole first half of the schedule. You didn't really talk too much about Big Ten media days and everything. It's like we're trying, we're 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 trying to hit everything that we can uh, to the extent that there are hours and minutes in the week to get all this stuff done. We're we're trying to hit it all for you, but uh, it's it's been a summer. I'll just say for like so for anyone who's kind of craving Big Ten media days talk or um fall camp talk like like ironically right as i logged on to the pod tonight um i happened to flip on big 10 network in the background and they're 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 literally interviewing david braun because they're you know their bus tour hit northwestern camp today um we're saving our northwestern specific content for a couple weeks from now um as we do offense and defense it's just there's until camp starts and we actually know who's still on the team and everything else like it just like we're, 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 we're hedging our bets a little bit. And, um, so if you're, if you're craving Northwestern content, like stay, stay, stay thirsty, my friends, it's coming in a couple weeks. And if you're craving football content, you're about to get a lot of it. So buckle up. (laughs) I, I am, I am quite confident, like having reviewed our, our views of teams last year. Um, and like how well we predicted some of the big 10 last year, like, you're not going to get this kind of analysis in, in most other places. Um, the, the, the best one, like 
we're gonna we're gonna have a conversation about Wisconsin and Iowa later on this podcast that like ninety eight percent of the media outlets out there are not having right now, and um, I, I feel pretty darn good about it. If you or a loved one is seriously injured by someone else's negligence, hire Kent Sinson of the Sinson Law Group. After over a decade prosecuting murder cases in Chicago, Sinson opened his own firm focused on wrongful death and personal injury cases. He specializes in car, truck, motorcycle, boat, and other transportation accidents, as well as construction accidents, medical negligence, slip and falls, product liability, and more. Millions recovered for clients. No fee unless he wins. The Sinson Law Group. Compassion, empathy, and vigorous advocacy. Go to SinsonLawGroup.com or call 312-332-2107 for a free consultation and go cats. So on that note, let us uh, start uh, with the back half of our schedule. Um, you know, Northwestern has a bye after homecoming against Howard. So, uh, you know, split set schedule just right in half. Coming out of that bye week, uh, we will be running into a Nebraska team that actually may have hired a good coach. They may have hired a couple of them. It, it's not it's not Scott Frost anymore, which, you know, is a bummer because it was great to play Scott Frost because that was, you know, he was bad. Is it is it uh, interim coach or no longer interim? Well, he was never interim coach. I just wish they had made Mark Whipple interim coach because it would have been so hor- like bad that, for them. Don't, and don't, they didn't. Don't, don't try to tickle me into into going off on a Mark. I'm saving my Mark Whipple thoughts <laughs> for when we do the Northwestern defense and the Northwestern offense. I've, I have, I'm not touching my Mark Whipple content yet. Um, but, uh, but yeah, but from, from a defensive perspective though, you talked about making, um, you know, that Nebraska made a good hire. They made a couple of good hires. Um, and it's a, an inverse situation where, on last week's pod, when I talked about Duke, I kind of talked about defense, this idea of like a meta narrative that could be good long term, and then the reality that was bad short term. With Nebraska, it's kind of reversed. I would say that there's defensively anyway, bad news here long term, and maybe good news here short term. So the long term bad news alludes to this multiple hires thing. So Matt Rule is comes in as the head coach. But he made what looks what, like... What, hold, hold on, John. When you say bad news and good news, you're saying from a Northwestern perspective. From a Northwestern standpoint, yes. Correct. Yeah. Or really anybody who's not a Nebraska fan. <laughs> but yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, yeah. <laughs> but particularly Northwestern. Um, is Matt Rule made what looks to be an awesome defensive coordinator hire, and that's Tony White. So it's not just that White is a great defensive coordinator in general. It's that he's a perfect defensive coordinator for Nebraska specifically because for once, instead of pretending like the 1990s are ever coming back at Nebraska, Matt Rule did the smart thing and he went with White, who is a guy who did fantastically at Syracuse with the exact caliber of player that Nebraska can reasonably expect to land on defense going forward. It's a good fit. He's used to working with this kind of guys and getting this kind of success. White also operates the 3-3-5 stack, which if you watch TCU, particularly in the postseason this year, you saw this kind of defense. It's a conservative 3-3-5 stack. There are only three defensive linemen. Um, It runs 
kind of out of exotic personnel, but it's actually a pretty conservative anti-run defense. Again, if you watch TCU's defense, that's very much what TCU is doing. It literally is a 3-3-5 stack. The formation seems to be pretty easy to read play to play, pretty clearly stacked, and it's a deceptive system. It looks like something you could run right at, and then the pieces come up and lock into place, and it creates problems for you. But the point is, the fact that this is a 3-3-5 stack and that Nebraska's been running a 3-4 is just great for a Nebraska team that just needs change in a big way. They need to just flip the script and do something new. This is in no way like Bill Callahan wrecking a good thing with the triple option, bringing in the West Coast offense. That ain't where Nebraska is right now. They need a shot in the arm, and White definitely will give them that. This is a guy who took over a Syracuse defense that had nothing going for it and turned it into the number two total defense in the ACC in 2021 and the number three total defense in the ACC last year. So this is all the long-term bad news. They appear to be laying a good foundation here. The short-term good news is that in White's first year as defensive coordinator at Syracuse in 2020, they were god-awful on defense. And that tracks perfectly with Matt Rule's own track record. Because he tends to, you know, he's known for these reclamation projects at the college level, but he tends to wipe the slate clean when he shows up at these schools and then build from the ground up. So that all suggests that even though Nebraska has a couple of decent pieces left at linebacker, chiefly Luke Reimer, I mean, on defense, chiefly Luke Reimer at linebacker and Miles Farmer at safety, Rule and White are probably just going to blow it up this year, especially on defense. Um... It's a write-off season. They know it. They know they have the leash to do that. And that might, for one year anyway, be a perfect situation for us. So a lot of changes on the Nebraska offense. Um, What's what's Matt Rule going to bring in to the offensive side in Lincoln? So before I get to Rule, because much like John just outlined on the defense, the, the offense is a very similar story. Like, probably not great this next year for Nebraska, but um, they're, they're allowing, they're laying a foundation for this team to get a lot better down the road. Um, I need to take my shots at Whipple and Frost now while I still can. So um, I'm going to quote my 2022 Nebraska preview uh, about the offense. Um, Here's what I said. This team, albeit talented, can't find its identity without a running quarterback. Well, this is was the, I'm sorry. I should say this was the downside case for Nebraska last year. Uh, that albeit talented, they couldn't find they wouldn't be able to find their identity without a running quarterback. Struggle to throw deep without turning the ball over and can't control the line of scrimmage through the run game. In this scenario, they fall back into the 2020 mode where teams can simply stifle them by loading the box, pressuring the quarterback, and their offensive output and scoring falls dramatically from 2021 levels. Um, that was pretty damn accurate. Turns out, um, said another way. Nebraska tried to 180 their offensive style last year to stave Frost's job, and it failed spectacularly. Like, the biggest faceplant of all faceplants. Um, so now, yes, Matt Rule, uh, unfortunately, I like this is going to work out well for Nebraska in the long run, assuming he stays. Um, you know, he, he's coming from the NFL, where he was with the Carolina Panthers. Um, if you're not familiar prior to that, he, you know, he... he took over Baylor in the wake of the Art Bryles um, scandal uh, and rebuilt that, that team from the grant from like a, a smoking crater, frankly. Um, 
he was at Temple before that. He's a really accomplished coach. Like he didn't really work out in Carolina, but um, he's he's probably more suited as a college guy. Um, but interestingly, Nebraska is not going to run a pro style pass oriented offense under Rule. Um, he is he is a uh, run first RPO guy, very similar to Scott Frost. Interestingly, um, but typically does it out of bigger personnel formati- formations with tight ends and fullbacks versus Frost spread sets like that. Like Nebraska, uh, you know, internet complex is obsessed right now with watching temple footage because it's um it's mostly an iback formation (laughs) that rule ran (laughs) um they love it they love it um now the 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 new offensive coordinator is marcus satterfield who comes from south carolina where he ran a lot of spread but featuring a lot of heavy personnel with multiple tight ends so um i think that you know the the crux here and why I think rule is ultimately going to, going to be successful is that he brings the, the most valuable thing he brings to this job is the ability and the willingness to adapt, which is extremely different from his three predecessors. Um, he's talked about how, you know, when he was at Baylor, he built that RPO offense. Uh, it was like to fit the big 12. He said, this is a scoring league. We have to be able to outscore or score with our opponents. We need a fast, explosive approach to offense uh, to get that done. And he's already harped on the importance coming to the Big Ten of having really powerful, strong offensive linemen. And he said, you know, when I was at Baylor, we were all about recruiting the, the small, quick players that, that could get outside and unlock, you know, what we wanted to do in the running game for, with RPOs. Like, yes, we want athleticism in our offensive linemen now, but they, like, in the Big Ten, they have to be much more strong and powerful than the, than the type like big dudes and the type of players we used to get. Um, that is very much at odds with, um, former, uh, former Nebraska coaches. Like I like, and granted this is Nebraska, you know, blogs I'm reading here, but they talked about Pelini is trying to go small. And they talked about, um, uh, Anderson, Gary Anderson is being very finesse and, and then, you know, frost being, you know, very just dedicated to a system, et cetera. And so I like, this is, this is huge for Nebraska. Like if, if rule is, you know, does stay, um, th- this could really, you know, cause, cause he's not just going to try much like John said on the, on the other side, like he's not just going to try to rebuild Nebraska of yore. Like he's going to evaluate and look at what he's doing and who he's playing and figure out how to do it in the right way. So um, that sucks as someone who loves for Nebraska to continue to face plant, but um, it is what it is now. As you know, as you go into this year, um, they've got you know uh, some good you know some good running backs. They got a couple of key wideouts back. They've got a couple of like really could be great tight ends in Thomas Fedone and and Eric Gilbert, who's a transfer from Georgia. Uh, there's a ton of new young players. They have a, an enormous recruiting class. They've got some pedigree. Um, o line was real bad last year in pass pro. But by the way, trying to 180 your offensive scheme from a Scott Frost run first RPO offense to a Mark Whipple like pass first, uh, <laughs> like I, I don't know. Not, you call I'm it not going to let you what, tease me. Like, I'm not going to let you pull me in with this Whipple talk. I'm holding it. <laughs> oh, did not go well. Um, so I mean, the O line like did not look great last year. Uh, they lost a couple key guys. They get a couple nice transfers. Um, center is really shallow, but the the rest of the line has potential. And then they bring in Jeff Sims from Georgia Tech. Uh, didn't throw a lot. Also, wasn't the primary runner, so it's like it's interesting. But like, I don't know. Maybe his skills were under underutilized by that offense. But he, like, bottom line here, like, I think Sims is a 
solid, heady senior quarterback. And this feels very much like a just kind of like build the foundation and kind of get it right year for the Nebraska offense. They're not trying to, you know, jump up or compete. They just want to get the fundamentals down. And um, that like very much like John said on the defense, blow it up and, and start start over. Maybe they're not blowing it up on on offense, but they're gonna they're gonna be just trying to establish a new uh, modus operandi this year, and I think it means not awesome in twenty twenty three, but um, probably builds to what what looks like a much more successful era under rule. Uh, so, what do we make of Nebraska kind of as a whole? I mean, where do we where do we expect like mid middle of the pack? No, lower I middle, think, lower. I think they're gonna yeah. be bad. I think the and I think. It's a situation where if they turn in a really, really bad season, no one will blink. And everyone will be like, oh, that's just how Rule does it. It's just he's building his thing. He's getting it all all the pieces in place. This is his track record, et cetera. And, well, he's saying all the right things to kind of like paint that. Too. Right. And it's like – and you look at, at everything we're talking about and just how much shift and how much, how much change is going on on both sides of the ball here. And – you know, they probably have more talent on the offensive side than defensive side, but it's not like we're talking about a wealth of riches here. Like this team was really, really bad last year and it wasn't just from a coaching standpoint. So this is back half of the schedule, one of our better chances to find a win. Um, and a lot of it is... It's the, la- it's the last win we've had. Yeah. And it's, again, it's like they're going through a lot of stuff and they're, they're putting a lot of things in place. I mean, it, they'll be halfway through their season at this point, but this is... This is a a big rebuild they got to, and credit to them. They hired the right guy to do it, and he's going to yep. take his time, and he's going to do it the right way. And right, I think long-term, I think Nebraska is going to get better. But short-term, we definitely have a shot at them in this one. They they have some really tough road games. they got to go to Minnesota, to Wisconsin, to Illinois. Um, they, uh, they're crossovers. They get, they get Michigan at home, but it's Michigan. They get Michigan State and Maryland, so that's that's not, that's not too bad. They also have a game at Colorado. I just don't think their record's going to be very good, and I think they're in the you know, I think they're in the right. <laughs> you've used this term before, John, the pillow fight, um, pillow fight down in the corn uh, at the bottom of the Big West. I think they're down in that with us and Purdue. Um, pro- pro- probably better than both us and Purdue, frankly, but um, I don't think that they can do much to threaten uh, the top dogs in the West. Uh, you, you talk about that Colorado game. That's going to be fascinating. I mean, it's Dion's second game. It's going to be on national TV because, you know, Fox just loves Dion and everything he stands for. Uh, so they're putting Colorado on as much as possible. That could, that'll be that'll be entertaining. I'm, I'm looking forward to, to that one. That probably does a big number to our earlier conversation. Yeah, probably, expansion. probably. Uh, so after we get back from Lincoln... Uh, we will be welcoming in Maryland on Halloween weekend. Um, you think of Maryland, there's one thing you think of, uh, and I'm sure Scuzz will talk about him. Crab you cakes know. and I was about That's literally yeah. where I was going. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I, I don't know, John, is, is defense the thing you think about when you think of uh, Terrapin football? Well, I would say from a Northwestern standpoint, Pay close attention here because if you listen to last week's pod and then you listen to what I just said about Nebraska, then what you're going to realize from what I'm about to say here is this is probably going to be Northwestern's third straight game against a pretty bad defense. Um, So if you're 
trying to find paths or you're trying to do whatever, know that we might play three bad defenses in a row right in the middle of the season, and Maryland's the third one of those. So Maryland was actually way better last year than they had any right to be on defense considering what went down with their whole defensive coordinator situation. So if you recall, Maryland fired its defensive coordinator, then hired another defensive coordinator, then had that defensive coordinator leave a week later for Miami, and then they promoted defensive line coach Brian Williams to defensive coordinator. So given all that, given the fact that Maryland was bad on defense coming in, and they tend to be bad on defense, this easily could have been the 13th or 14th best Big Ten defense. And where it ended up was like 8th to 10th, depending on what subcategory you look at. And that's pretty good for them. That is because Williams is a D-line guy. And when he got the keys last year, he immediately went to work with kind of a, a group that was bringing some new pieces in and had some guys with some untapped potential and everything and just made it a D-line focused unit and coaxed an unreal amount of production out of this key rotation of five mammoth guys across the three-man front in the 3-4 that Maryland uses, um, it's insane the production that he pulled out of these five guys. You're talking about 300-pounders. They had 136 total tackles across these five guys, which is some crazy production. And that was the basis upon which all of their production of the whole defense was based. It's why they depending on where you look, were as good as the eighth best defense in the conference. All of those guys are gone now. All five of them are gone. And Maryland isn't close to reloading in that area. And they lost their biggest pro prospect, cornerback to Corey and Bennett, to the NFL. This is what it looks like when the bottom is about to fall out. This could possibly be an extremely bad defense um, obviously Scuzz is coming up here. They're, for all I know, they're going to be loads of trouble on the other side of the ball. But on defense, this for sure looks like a defense that we can move the ball and score on for the third week in a row or third game in a row. Uh, so Scuzz, um, what I was alluding to with my initial comment Ta- was Talia uh, and nothing else. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, that's um, it's not quite fair, but it's also not far from the truth. Um, so like in in twenty twenty two, they they like they at least had like a really good feature tailback in Roman Hemby. Um, they had uh, had some talent at wide receiver they did not make good on, and a lot of that was at the offensive line, which was supposed to be a strength, really just fell apart on them. Um, and the schedule got tough, and they just they they couldn't make any noise, and and you know really. In terms of an offensive output standpoint, they just stayed flat uh, from what was a pretty good 2021. This year, so Talia's back, obviously. He's, uh, for my money, the second-best quarterback in the East, um, probably the second-best quarterback in the conference. And he, um, I don't know, we'll, we'll, we'll see. It's a, it's a big, he, you know, he, he very much plateaued last year. Um from his breakout in 2021, and it'll be very interesting to see what he can do uh, this season if he can if he can make improvements, um, etc. But there's it's going to be hard. Uh, I, he's not working from a platform of strength. Um, so the offensive line has had massive turnover since last year. There are five guys who could have stayed, like they still had eligibility, that left uh, Maryland. 
Um, the Terps have brought in four different transfers, three with, which have pretty legit experience. So, but like, so their offensive line doesn't like, it's not like they're going, you know, down to table scraps or something, but it's going to be patchwork. Now they don't play an actual defensive line until week like six. Um, I guess maybe week five, if you kind of believe in Indiana, but um, uh, at the same time, all the running backs return. Hemby's going to be good again. But the wide receiver room looks much less dynamic. So they lost Rakeem Jarrett. Uh, he went to um, to the NFL. They were just unable to take the top off of defenses last year. Um, like the like the the yards per catch were low. It just like Talia, I think, lost a yard on his yards per attempt. Like it just it was, they were not nearly as explosive as they were the year before. And some of that might be defenses reacting. Some of that might be just. They, they really pressured the hell out of Talia. Um, there's a 65% increase in sacks allowed for Maryland. And I believe that, like, to me, that's a big indicator that in, in the in the receiving stats as well. Um, now, that being said, like, uh, Talia was still very good last year. Um, he reduced his pick rate for the second straight season. Uh, he didn't quite match his other stats. Like, he dipped, dipped a couple percentage points on completion and yards per attempt, like I mentioned. Um but if he can get comfortable behind this new line and avoid sacks, maybe run a little bit less in the last two years. I think he's carried the ball like 80 sometimes each of the last two seasons. He gets banged up. Um, if he can stay healthy, I, like, I think this offense can make a jump. And that's just a testament to his talent. Um, I think the coaching staff's pretty good. And I think they they probably underperformed last year and maybe have a little bit easier of a schedule this year. I think, like, I don't know that they can beat Ohio State and Penn State straight up, but could they get one of them and then maybe like enough other upsets happen that they're able to 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 land that second or third spot in the in the East? I think it's plausible. So plausible potentially, but uh, it it, does, it, like, it doesn't look good when you look at it's the right. I was I was going to say that that you know one sided one sided football doesn't really get you too far i think i'll tell you i'll tell you what loxley is talking up this team and he's talking up tolly he's talking a big game in media days and all the preseason like he's got he's got like the chip on his shoulder kind of speech going right now so i like and i don't know and tolly is awesome and like we got to dodge him last year i mean a couple things one we dodged him last year if this offensive line is getting really reworked that would be good hemby obviously went off against us last year I would remind everyone, though, that Brendan Sullivan played a really good game in this game. Not unbelievable, but he had very little experience at this point. And really, up until the last pass he threw of the game, had a touchdown, a pick, had only thrown, I think, five incomplete passes, and also was running the ball pretty well and had a running touchdown. Well, by the time we get to Maryland, either— you're going to see Brendan Sullivan or Ben Bryant's going to be playing well enough that you're not going to be seeing Brendan Sullivan. Either way, you should be getting a quarterback who's capable of playing really well against this defense, against a defense that is significantly worse than it was last year. So, you know, the, 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 the 20, to your point, the 24 points that Northwestern scored against Maryland was far and away the most offensive output in the last yeah. three quarters. So, I mean, you know, we we put together a good game against Maryland last year, and and you know, if it's Talia and if it's nothing else, I don't know that I next necessarily love them odds because he's incredible. But we'll we'll see how it plays out. Uh, so with Maryland, that takes us through the end of October. 
Uh, we're running a little bit long, so in the interest of time, we're going to go ahead and leave it there for tonight. Come back next week with the final four games of the schedule. Uh, November to remember, perhaps, as we shall see. Uh, so with that, we'll go ahead and leave it there. Uh, head to our website, westlawpirates.com, where you can leave comments and questions. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, at westlawpirates. And email the show, westlawpirates at gmail.com. Tune in next time as we have our visceral and statistical views on Northwestern athletics. Look for us in the west side of Ryan Field playing the red pirate flag, because we give no quarter, especially the fourth. For John Lacombe and Eric Scasby, I'm Sam Walter. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time.